As you all know by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL and you will get up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. One, download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code JUSTBASEBALL. Two, deposit at least $10 and place your first wager on any game. Three, you will receive up to $1,500 in bonus bets if your bet loses. Just make sure you use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL when you sign up. Disclaimer, BetMGM.com for terms and conditions and must be 21 or older to wager. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., New York, or Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Kansas, Louisiana, Maryland, Mississippi, New Jersey, Nevada, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona, 1-800-327-369. 5050 in Massachusetts, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, and 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan, in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL and get your $1,500 first bet offer today. resolution for every MLB team moving forward into 2024 and a sit down with Dodgers right-hander Walker Bueller. Welcome to episode 600 of the Just wow. Baseball Show. I'm Peter Apple. That's Arm Layton. We got a loaded show, 600 episodes. Arm, you just dropped a thread on Twitter about all of the great things that we've been able to accomplish this year. And we wouldn't be here without the great people listening here to the Just Baseball Show. So we want to extend our thanks, our gratitude. You guys are the reason we get up and do this every day. It's amazing. But Arm, just go through it because, you know, after the end of every year, it's good to just kind of see where we're at and keep it moving. Yeah, so it's funny. It's like echoing everything you said, because I still a lot of times feel like I'm just speaking like just to you and then in into the ether. Like I, for, I honestly forget sometimes that like there's people out there that are that are listening to some of the dumb shit that we say and, and mixed in with some decent stuff here and there. And then when you really dive into the numbers and contextualize it, like it sounds dumb. Like at times, though, people will reach out and say, hey, really enjoyed this episode. I have a question on this. I'll be like, oh, thanks so much. And I answer it. But I still like just register that as like case by case. I don't realize that thousands of people are listening to each episode and whatever. And it's probably good that way. Otherwise, I'll start to freak out a little bit. But I did want to put out some numbers just on the year on Twitter, just because I wanted to show people how much they've helped us already. Like the amount of people that have been it, you know, have gone to me and said, 
Hey dude, like I share what you guys do with, with everybody, you know, or like, Oh, I was following Peter for his picks. And I told all my other buddies that they have to follow him or I shared the show with so many other people. Um, and, and that's like the number one way for us to grow. Of course, virality and internet is, is, is crazy, but word of mouth is also really powerful. Uh, and, and I think that's been a huge part of it as well. Just so many of you listeners have, you know, been kind enough to keep listening and also sharing. So a couple of the, the key numbers, first of all, the social views are absolutely absurd. That's that's all Peter. Um, up 40% in 2023, uh, just shy of 100 million because TikTok is such a freaking wagon beast. But Instagram's been a big focus. We're really excited about you know building that. I know that's been a fun challenge for you, Peter, and you've like already gotten that thing on another level. Um, the pod network, just being up 60% is, is just absurd to me. Like, you know, we, we had the goal of hitting a certain amount of downloads. We didn't think that we'd, you know, exceed a million downloads on, on the just baseball show. And here we are in, in, in a calendar year and, and blowing past that. So that was really cool too. And now adding more shows to our network that we're really excited about to, so to see that jump 60% was awesome. The website, you know, the website being up nearly 50%, almost 3 million page views in 2023, which was really, really cool. And then YouTube, we've talked about how that's a big initiative for us going into 2024. Well, you know, even just in 2023, up 400%. You know, it shows you that we're even focusing on that and we can focus even further to 2 million views in, in 2023. So I, those numbers are are absurd to me. They all sound fake. It doesn't even seem possible that that we could, you know, have that kind of audience. But at the same time, it feels like we're just starting uh, and it feels like we have so much more, you know, ahead. So I can't thank people enough for, for making any of these numbers a reality. I mean, you and I remember talking about it when there was like 20, 30 lessons. We're like, whoa. Yeah. You know, like. Yeah. That's almost a full classroom in my high school, which was a small high school. Um, you know, I was like, oh, wow, that's a, that's a full room of people, you know. And so it's just it's really cool to see it continue uh, to, to head in this direction. And uh, it, it's extremely surreal. So, you know, we're, we're all really grateful for for the help and, and all of the support. Incredibly grateful. And I think the reason I really wanted to share these numbers is because I don't view just baseball media as you, Jack, and I, Ryan, Colby, the whole gang, talking to listeners, right? And they're just on the outside looking in. From the beginning, the people who have been here from the beginning have been instrumental in creating ideas for us. You talk about it. There's people in your DMs all the time talking to you about prospects, people in mind talking about bets, about the show. This has been a collaborative effort with a lot of people since the beginning. So the reason we talk about the numbers is, again, to thank all of you who have been here from the beginning and all of the people who are maybe coming in late. We want Welcome. to build a community with you. That is yeah. the main point of this. The reason we started Just Baseball was we thought that the big markets, right, that go unnamed right now, weren't <laughs> covering the game in yeah. an effective way. They weren't talking to the people who actually watch baseball. They weren't talking to Reds fans or Pirates fans or Royals fans. We do all the time. So we view our success as your success and we're all growing together. So we don't read you the numbers as if, hey, look at us. Look at what we've been able to do. No, it's look at what well, we've been able to do, including our audience. So I just, and I know you feel the same way, as yeah. grateful as humanly possible. I don't have the words to be more yeah. than grateful, but it's at 150 million percent. Yeah, no, the last thing I'll add, you hit the nail on the head is, I mean, there's a reason why our mailbag episodes are always like some of the best and, and you know, most listened to is I think, 
just just knowing uh, trying to have our finger on the pulse of, of the audience but also having an audience that's so willing and ready and, and and able to reach out and share thoughts share ideas and and just have great conversation so uh that side of it has just been really cool it's just it's amazing it's like kind of a like duh moment of hey maybe you should just engage with your audience and you'll know what people want to hear um but I'm very grateful. We're all very grateful that our audience has been willing to engage with us and and build that relationship. So, you know, whether it's running into some people at the ballpark that have listened, which is always amazing, or, you know, just conversations that, you know, we have via social media or whatever it may be. Um, it's, it's a big reason, as you mentioned, why we are where we are. And then, of course, just having an incredible staff of studs and awesome people that continues to grow uh, is is another extremely exciting part of it that, you know, I, I can't, I could do a whole podcast on, on all of the people on our team that have just been awesome in 23 and I can't wait to see what we're going to do in 24. So thank you for an unbelievable year. Uh, it's the most fun I've ever had, you know, doing anything work related. Uh, and, and I can't wait to do more of it in 24. Can't wait to keep, keep going. All right. Before we get into a new year's resolution for every MLB team, followed by a sit down with Walker Bueller. The Just Baseball Show is brought to you by BetMGM. Use promo code JustBaseball when you sign up and deposit into your newly created account. Download the BetMGM Sports app on iOS or Android or visit BetMGM.com. Place your first bet offer and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if it loses. And if the bet does lose, your bonus bets will be available once the wager is settled. Gambling problem? Call or text 1-800-GAMBLER. Must be 21 or older. And terms and conditions apply. I have the American League. You have the National League. So basically what we did is one sentence to describe the resolution, then a couple sentences back and forth, and then we'll just keep moving from team to team because we got a loaded episode here. And a lot of it is point blank. Like a lot of my resolutions is straight up calling them out. I had a feeling. I I I had a feeling. My resolutions are just yelling at you. Which is good. Yes. I think that should be a resolution, right? So my resolutions go to the gym more. Stop being a fat ass. You know, eat healthier, right? You got to yell at yourself a little bit on New Year's resolutions. You got to stop doing the dumb shit in 2023 to move forward and be a better team in 2024. And that's what we're here to do. Yell at your team. A hundred percent. And also I, I love doing these podcasts with you and really enjoy it and love hearing what you have to say. But I'm going to be honest. I would much rather hear Walker talk about Yoshinobu Yamamoto now being on his team uh, and and Tyler Glass now and all of these exciting things than to hear you yell at the Orioles for the 45th time. So that's why we're going to go a little quick. Um, I'm excited to hear. There's certain teams that I went through on your side where I'm like, oh, I'm interested to see what Peter is going to say here. But certain teams like the the Orioles or like, I don't know, some some other just bad teams. The Orioles are great, obviously, but frustrating for other reasons. I'm like, all right, let's let's fly through these and we don't need to have a full back and forth. But there's gonna be a few that I will interject and, and share some thoughts or or echo your sentiment. But I am nervously ready for for what you've got. So you can go first, King. Rude, but extremely fair. All right, let's <laughs> move on. Uh it's good. We're, we're being more honest here in 2024. Um, we'll start with my New York Yankees. Huh. Channel George Steinbrenner and go on the attack. Here's what I mean. Juan Soto and Glaber Torres are impending free agents. Garrett Cole is 33 and Aaron Judge is 31. DJ, LeMahieu, Anthony Rizzo, and Giancarlo Stanton are 34 or older. You had the bad Rodon and Nestor year already, right? Those were supposedly, hopefully, their worst years. Who knows how much they're going to improve, but I don't think they're going to be worse. And you already let Anthony Volpe get his feet wet. 
this should be the season where you push all the ch- chips in, make the big trade, sign the big fish, be the New York Yankees. Works for you? Dude. Yeah, works for me. Be the fucking Yankees. We just begged the Red Sox to be the Red Sox on our last episode. Same thing here. Same thing here. So I'll do the American League East. You do the National League East. And we'll just keep flip-flopping. So I'll go to the Red Sox. John Henry, stop worrying about Liverpool and invest (laughs) in the Red Sox. You all talked about it on the podcast yesterday. So this is going to be short. But from my point of view, it is so disappointing to see and hear how they are currently operating. You are the Red Sox, the third most valuable team in Major League Baseball. Yankees, Dodgers, Red Sox. You finish last in three of four years. Since 2020, your team is 272 and 274. Don't you feel a little bit embarrassed? Your fans deserve better. And I like the point you made on the last show. Some of the best fans in sports. As much as I could go back and forth with them as a Yankee to Red Sox fan, it's fun because they're all smart. And you guys see what's going on here. Hold your owner accountable. Tell them to stop investing in soccer. Yeah. Baseball. It's the Red Sox. It's the Fenway Sports Group. It's not the Liverpool Sports Group. (laughs) Yeah, it's like I know that they have to diversify the portfolio, but come on. It's the Fenway Sports Group. Like, let's go. I couldn't agree with you more. Blue Jays. Choose a lane and stick to it. Are you going to make the big signing or just kind of be in the race and not go over the top? Are you going to dive fully into analytics or are you just going to blame John Schneider when it doesn't go your way? Mm -hmm. Are you going to add to the offense or are you just going to run back the same team that was about 14th and run scored last year and hope for something new, even though you have years of evidence of this current team not getting to the next level. What are you going to do? I mean, that's your spot on. You know, we, we, that's another team that makes me frustrated. Um, I think signing, we talked about on the last episode, signing Jock, I think would actually be, you know, a, a sign of like, hey, we're trying to lean in some more pop. We're trying to make a little bit of a difference here. Uh, but, you know, going with another IKF adjacent move, I'm good. Like, watch, they're gonna try, they're gonna go get like Michael A. Taylor too. They just want every defensive center fielder in, in the sport or something. Just start stockpiling those guys. Like I like Kevin Kiermaier, but like you signed I Kevin do. Kiermaier for one year, 10 million. Like that's your that's your team. Like you, you already saw at home. what happened. You yeah. have Kiermaier at home. I love that point. Um, Orioles build around the core now. And I wrote down now is N-O-W with exclamation points and in fully bolded. I even made the font size a little bit bigger. What else do you need to see from this core? You have the late 90s, early 2000s beginnings of the Yankees core four. Follow that mold. Add guys like Tina Martinez, Paul O'Neill, Scott Brocious, David Wells, David Cohn, right? Everybody remembers those late Yankees as Jeter, Posada, Mariano, Pettit, like those guys. But it was really like the Bernie Williams and all those guys that made those young guys better. You have to surround this uber-talented young roster with established sound veterans so when the lights are bright and they get to the playoffs against the Rangers, it doesn't have to be on 22-year-olds to perform. Yeah. I mean, and and it it's one of those things that you hear it time and time again situationally. Oh, this player really took the lead and, and really helped a lot of the young guys. And, you know, these guys are already getting some experience because they're so good so early, but 
I mean, yeah, it's one of those things where lock up those youngsters and yeah, start pushing the chips forward a little bit. We'll see what they do. But again, we've, I've lost all hope that, that Michael Elias is ever going to be aggressive ever with anything. We can hope. We can hope. Tampa Bay Rays, don't let the wander thing change you. And this is a very difficult <laughs> subject. I'm not going to I know what you're saying, though. Yeah. Like, losing Wander after this huge contract to a team like the Rays is such a gut punch. Mm-hmm. Finally spent, and now likely you're going to have nothing to show for it. But stick to your guns, build from within, and don't be that team that says, look, big contracts don't work. We're never doing it again. Like, yeah. this was a one-off crazy thing that we see once every, like, 50 years. Don't, don't let it change you. Like, yeah. don't be the team now who's like that, and then you're always going to be in the margins kind of moves. Because yeah. then you're never going to get to the pedestal. Like, you'll mm-hmm. make the playoffs, you'll win a lot of regular season games, but it's just going to be, all right. It well, is wild. Yeah. It, it is wild that the one time they shell out money, it, it ends up being, you know, a situation here where we could have one of the more disgusting scandals in, in the history of sports in terms of, of some of the things that Wander was, you know, accused of. And it, th- that's the craziest thing is the one time they spend, but I'm with you. Like does a player like Wander come around very often? No. Uh, but does it need to be Wander for you to lock him up? No. Uh, it, there can be some really good junior Camonero might be, you know, he's not going to be Wander Franco. I don't think, but uh. he might be close enough. <laughs> lock that guy up. And, yeah. and, and not the other kind of locked up that, that <laughs> they're dealing with with the other. I'm talking about like sign him to an extension. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it just seems like a no brainer uh, to, to pick your spots. You can't do it all the time. You're the raise, but don't let this make you jaded. I, I think that's a great point. National League East. What do you got? Okay. So we'll start with the Braves and the Braves. I'll keep it simple. And, and this was actually um, something that. Started with the Chris Sale trade, but leading with just find an edge. And I believe it was it was Dave O'Brien. Is, is that the gentleman that covers the, the Braves? I thought I saw him on foul territory. Is that the right name? I want to make sure I have that right. Um, but there, whoever it was, I'm going to pull it up right now, that covers the Braves, was on foul territory, talking about how he felt like Chris Sale uh, could really make – yeah, it was David O'Brien, excuse me. So David O'Brien of the Athletic was saying how he felt like Chris Sale can kind of give the the Braves that edge that they've been missing. And that edge meaning the difference in the playoffs right now, right? A team that doesn't just fold when they get punched in the mouth. A team that, you know, responds to the adversity, doesn't just dominate the regular season. And then when they're down to zip, you know, they they get beat up by a team that kind of just seems like they want it more. Um, And I always hated that cliche, but sometimes with the Braves, it's like, what are these guys doing? You're way too good. You can come back in any situation. So I think the fierceness and the competitiveness of Chris Sale hopefully can you know, be who kind of helps them find that edge. But for me, it was find an edge. You don't need much more talent. I love that one. That is a great one because to the to your point about the cliche, like when Ron Acuna Jr. steps on the field and Matt Olson and you know these guys, it's not that they don't want it. Of course, every player on the field wants it. But then how do you explain the Phillies and and these teams just continually outlasting them when everyone's picking the Braves to win because you're the best team? There has to be something something there. Finding that edge, Chris Sale, it was more to the Braves than just if he throws 130 innings with 150 punch outs, like that's awesome. Maybe Anthopolis is sensing this and is going to add a couple more of those guys. Like I would love that because the Braves don't need any more talent, right? 
They no. need dogs. They need a psychopath. They need a guy that's going to cut up the jerseys and shit. That's fine. You know, the on Baseball Savant, they're red in all the important categories, except dog in them. Yeah, pretty blue. Pretty blue. You need some red and dog in them, and I think Chris Sale gave him that. I love it. Uh, Mets, play the kids. You know, look, I... I think that they're going to head in a pretty good direction. I, I like the moves that they made at the end of last year. I think it's very clear what they're doing. I think Stearns is the right guy at the helm. But, you know, I don't need Starling Marte to, to continue to get at-bats out there if, if, if it's not looking good. Um, even though you could look at Jeff McNeil, if he's not doing great, you know, maybe you, you start to look at the young guys like Luis Angel Acuna, who could be up there at some point. You've got Drew Gilbert. It sucks that Ronnie Mauricio got hurt, but Brett Beatty, I still, I don't care if he's struggling. What are you playing for this year? Let Brett Beatty keep going. I want to see more of Mark Vientos. Just let those guys play with without, you know, I think being so tense and trying to, survive you know and, and keep their job while also developing this is a development year probably the only time the Mets are going to have that for maybe ever again because Steve Cohen's never going to want to be in this position again play the kids see what you got with some of these youngsters there's so many pitchers that I want to see more of you know Mike Vassell being one of them Blade Tidwell is pretty darn good um I'm, I'm also missing a couple off the top of my head uh but there's several arms that I'd love to see more of and and I just think that's a big part of it as well. Christian Scott, uh, Christian Scott, I'd love to see throw a little bit more too. Instead of adding on to that point, because I think it's a great point, who's the one young Mets rookie second year guy who you think this year is the most pivotal? Maybe not the one that you're most excited to great see. Question. Maybe not the best player of the bunch, but this year is the most fork in the road esque. I think I think it's Beatty, man, because another year of struggles with Brett Beatty. And now you're like, is it going to happen here? And I think the world of him, I think he can be a, a, an all star, multi all star at third base. And it's not like they've got a, a huge line and contingency at third base. Um, you know, it's a couple other guys that they'll experiment with there. Maybe Mauricio will see when he's healthy, but also with Mauricio being out for season, it's Beatty. And I think by it's Beatty, a Big gap and everybody else because Beatty's had a little bit more struggles under his belt. 100%. Because I think Francisco Alvarez, we kind of... He's he's good. He's set. Yeah, he's got it. He's got it for sure. Phillies, start better. It's just that simple for me. The last couple of years, they've overcome crappy starts. And and it's amazing that they do that, but it seems like they almost run out of gas at the end of the postseason because they have to tax the hell out of their pitching. They got to get out of the wild card or they got to finish hot down the stretch in September, really push balls to the wall. And then by the time they get to the, the, you know, the NLCS or the world series, it's like they have nothing left or they're finally running out of gas in May. As of May 31st, 2022, they were eight games under 500. That's pretty quick to be eight games under for a good baseball team. And then May 31st, 2023, this past season, five games under, even if they hovered around 500 through those first couple months, it'd be a lot easier getting through the second half of the season in the final couple months when they really had to push to make it and end up, you know, hosting a game there, you know, or hosting two in the wildcard series. So start better. The Phillies kind of remind me of that one guy you played high school baseball with who was a division one commit elite player, but you're playing a Saturday game against a team that's two and eight and they're throwing a guy who throws 74 miles an hour in high school and he grounds out. He yeah. just doesn't have a good game because he's not locked in. But then you go down to the best conference and you're facing a team full of D1 commits and the guy goes four for four with two bombs. All yeah. he needed were the lights to turn on and yeah. then he locks in. 
Like, don't let those May games against the Nationals get away. Get away. Like, beat the shit out of the bad teams and then show up for the great games, and you could be the best team in baseball. Because the Phillies, when the lights are on, can beat anybody. Anybody at any given time. But it's these, they keep going 88 and 74 or whatever (laughs) because they're losing games that they just shouldn't be. Like, focus on those games yeah, you could be unstoppable in the regular season, and then you get in the postseason at the bank, and we're having the same conversations where we're saying, "I don't know who could beat the Phillies." Yep, yep. Next up, Marlins learn how to draft. You know, I and I think they will because I I like who they have at the helm here in in Bendix and just getting rid of DJ Civilic. But we just talked about we just did playing GM for for the, the Marlins in the last episode. I'm not saying the Marlins would be in a perfect spot right now, but if they didn't draft like shit for the last five years, they would probably be in a much better spot. I'm not saying it'd be perfect, but they'd definitely be in a much better spot. And it's not always, oh, hindsight's 2020. You could always say oh, they, they could have picked a better player. No, no hindsight. I can pull up tweets, articles, podcasts, whatever it may be. Jacob Berry in 2022 punted that first round pick. Khalil Watson, I kind of get that one, but still. Berry, they could have got multiple shortstops that would be starting for them right now. And instead we have Vidal Brujan, uh, you know, playing at shortstop. JJ Bleday, Connor Scott, if they drafted anybody other than those guys, they're in a much better spot. I don't think it's a complete problem, but I do think you're seeing what happens when you don't have anything to show for five, six years of drafts, which, you know, your farm system becomes incredibly thin. You try to compete at the big league level. You trade some prospects. Your farm system becomes more thin. You're already strapped for cash. And now you're stuck in this purgatory spot that the Marlins are in. Draft better, things will get better. They, I think, have been one of the worst drafting teams in the sport over the last few years, and I don't think it's particularly close. We've done 600 episodes together, and I should know that when you're about to start talking about the Marlins, I can't take a sip of water because I just spit out water (laughs) onto my laptop when you said, learn how to draft. So give them a pointer. How do you draft, Barb? Um, so you could take a quick gander at some of these things called like batted ball data. Um, you could take a quick gander at some analytics. You could also just just hire better scouts and watch and the game. Watch, watch, yeah. go to the game. Not just go to. I mean, they they did like a, they followed JJ Bladé around all the time, just to, until their confirmation bias could just be like hit home perfectly. Like they were literally on a tour watching JJ Bladé. They were out in Vandy. I remember. I think Jeter was out there. I'm like. What, what else do you need to see? Like, why, why are we going all the way in here on just J.J. Bleday, watching him play every single day? Like, let, let's go see some other players. You never know what you might find. Uh, but they were dead set on that, and, you know, the rest is history. Nationals? Yeah. <laughs> Let Steven Strasburg retire, please. Mm-hmm. Like, look, I could have talked about the team. I, you know, I, I think for them, it's really just about, like, hunting the Corbin contract run out, playing the youngsters and, and that kind of thing. But there's other teams where I'm saying playing the youngsters and and it applies. The Nationals are the only team that has this really weird, bizarre situation where, look, you're not going to save money on Strasburg retiring. It's not going to happen. His agent, Scott Boris, he's not going to fork over money that you agreed to pay him. It sucks that it's all guaranteed. That's how baseball works. It's unfortunate the way things shook out. Strasburg's going to have to go to fucking Florida and fail a physical and and just be degraded as a man because you want to try to combat Boris about you know the money that's owed. Just let the man retire. Uh, that that's my big thing. I think it's a cloud over you know what should be a, a turning of the page for the Nationals, which is you know one of those situations where 
they should be looking at the youngsters. They should be looking at CJ Abrams. They should be looking at some of these young guys coming up. And instead it's like you have this hanging over you and you, and you can't really turn the page. Love it. They just can't. That's it for the NL East. That's it for the NL East. Let's move on to the American League Central. Uh, we'll start with the Guardians. And this was stolen from Kevin Henry, our new writer at JustBaseball.com, a BBWAA member. He did a full New Year's resolution for every team, so it differs from Arm and I. But I really wanted to pick on this one because I think he's so right. And he said, a return to 2022 form for Andres Jimenez. Because I was trying to figure out, you know, a good resolution for this team. But Bieber's coming back. McKenzie's coming back. Of course, the emergence of Tanner Bybee. You know, you got Bo Naylor, obviously, who's the catcher of the future, and Jose Ramirez and Josh Naylor and all these guys. But Andres Jimenez signed a seven-year, $106 million contract. This is the guy. They need him to be the third key hitter with Naylor and Jose Ramirez. Of course, Bo Naylor, you know, I think whatever you get from him right now is great because he's still really young. You expect him to be good, but you need a core of these, like, relatively older veteran-esque because they're all still in their mid to late 20s. Like, his OPS plus dropped 43 points last year. He was an MVP candidate to a below replacement level player or around that. Like, that yeah. cannot happen for the Guardians. Yeah. Like, he is such a key cog. He can't be hitting seventh. Like, this guy should be one of the key members of your team on a playoff team, not a below-average hitting second baseman. That is not him needs to be back for the Guardians to really compete because you kind of know everybody else is going to do their thing. And you know that they don't shell out $100 million very often. So, you know, the one time that they do outside of J-Ram, like, guys got to perform or else they're handcuffed. And and that's that's a big part of it. Tigers, go shock the world. <laughs> Maybe I got just a weird feeling about the Tigers this year. I think they're going to shock some pe people. The Central is wide open, and you have the pieces to be the team. They have a lot of interesting young pitchers, right, from Manning to Scooble to Reese Olsen to Fiedo to Mize. I don't know if all of them are going to pitch this year, but there's so many guys where you can just see a light at the end of the tunnel. On offense, Riley Green, Spencer Torkelson, Kerry Carpenter, and they're adding guys like Mark Canna and Kenta Maeda. Like, you're starting to see a form of a team that's really interesting, and nobody's paying attention to them. Go get Isak Paredes and go shock the world. I There's something about these Tigers. I like them. Yeah. I, I Look, they're, they're, it's, it's, it's happening in terms of you can see the direction, you can see what they're doing. I'm interested to see how they want to strike um, because the system is pretty good. They might feel like that division's open, like we've talked about. Um, and, you know, Jackson Job is arguably my favorite pitching prospect in baseball. And I think he could make an impact as soon as next year. So, I mean, it's starting to come together and, and it might be the perfect time for it to all come together, you know, in that central division. Like, I know they only won 78 and 84 last year, but they did finish second in the division. Like, I think we I all kind of in our brains just assume that they were third, fourth. Like, they finished second. They had the same record as the Red Sox. And so which with, team do you think is in better position to win this year? The Red Sox or the Tigers? <laughs> the Tigers might the be Tigers. Yeah. And the other the other funny thing is, you know, my king, Miguel Cabrera, who I will never, you know, say a negative thing about. But, you know, at with, with no knees left and you know, 40 years old, 
they were believing him in the lineup because you, of course you do, right? It's, it's, it was Miggy's farewell tour, but now you replace that DH spot with someone that can actually you know, still hit uh, a decent, at a decent clip. You also have that money that's going to be, you know, more available now to, to spend in, in different spots. And uh, yeah, you're getting younger. And, and I think that part of it is, is kind of what they were trying to get to. And uh, I'm excited to see what it looks like. The White Sox will be quick. Do your fans a long-term favor. Start from zero. This team needs a real rebuild, not a fake rebuild. Trade everyone not named Luis Robert. Come up with a plan to do this and completely reset everything. Yep. Yep. I think they're doing it. I think they're finally doing it. We'll see. But, I'm but I think they're going to do, do it. it. Do it. Because I'm hearing mm-hmm. now the, the price tag for Cease, like no team is going to match it. And then they're just going to keep them. And they're not no, yeah, no, no one met they're our not, price. Like, like uh, yeah. they're just gonna keep doing that. It's at some point, guys, do it. Yeah. You're not gonna get a one Soto-esque deal for Dylan Cease. I'm just sorry. You're not going to. You're not going to. No. All right. Yeah. Royals, this is a big year to find out truly who your core is. You have the beginnings. You got a lot of guys who are maybes, probablys, eh. This is the year where you find it. I think Bobby Witt Jr. right now is the only no-brainer. The probablys are Cole Reagans and Vinny Pascantino. The maybes, though, like is MJ Melendez a part of this future? Michael this Massey? Year. This Michael year you'll Garcia. find out. Yeah, this is the year to find out. Michael Garcia, big year for Brady Singer, right? All of these guys are 27 or younger. So I think this is a pivotal year. Are you going to be a part of the core or are you not? Because there are some good players in here. And I'm thinking some of them will be and some of them may not be. And with just inconsistencies with some of them, like Vinny P, I love his talent, but he's got to stay healthy, right? Like if he's just a guy who gives you 70 games a year of elite production, like we have plenty of those guys in Major League Baseball. They're not super, super core members. I think he's going to stay healthy, but you never know. So yep. big year for the core in Kansas City. Uh, and, and I mean, going to sign these vets too, it shows like, hey, there's there's a little bit more urgency now too. So like this is the year where if, if you're not a part of the future, they'll probably move you and and start to really consolidate and, you know, lock in on the pieces that are going to help them win by 25 and 26. The Twins is a tough one. I wrote mm-hmm. down, take a page out of the Rays book. Be the best at being surgical. If you have to cut costs, focus on the between the margins moves, right? Become the masters of making under the radar acquisitions. You have strong big name pieces in place, right? You got your Pablo Lopez, you got your Byron Buxton, you got your Carlos Correa, you got your Royce Lewis, your Edward Julien. Make those sneaky moves that, you know, we cover at the end of the show and we don't give you a ton of credit. And then at the end of the year, we're, we think to ourselves, what a great move. Be that team. Be the masters of the moves that not a lot of people talk about until after the fact and pretend that they were with you from the beginning. Be that team. They've got assets. I mean, they got a lot of assets. So I'm I'm interested to see. I think they do need to be more active though um, and be more creative. And and I do think they will be now too. I think there's a couple of teams on this other side of the new year here that are going to be pretty, pretty active. National League Central. Yep. So we'll start with the Milwaukee Brewers. Pretty simple. Just retain your good players. Look, I know that the Brewers can't fork a, you know, a billion dollars like like the Dodgers do and have and can. Uh, but they can fork over more money than than they are and are showing to be willing to. And they have a lot of affordable 
pieces already locked in, right? The, the whole outfield is controllable and cheap. You just extended Chorio. You're going to have him for almost a decade now. Um, you you have Freddie Peralta on one of the most affordable deals out there. Okay, maybe you can't keep Corbin Burns. Why let Adamas walk? You don't have like a, a slam dunk shortstop waiting in the wings. Like, why not extend Adamas? Uh, that's a guy that you can reasonably afford. Uh, when it comes to to Burns, I think they could still try. I, I know that the relationship isn't great, but th- there's a reason why it's not great. They've been nickel, nickel and diming him, you know, in, in arbitration and all that good stuff. Retain your good players. You paid Yelich. Yes, it didn't work out as perfectly as you might have hoped. He's still playing good baseball now, though, you know, in, in the latter parts of this deal. And at the end of the day, you look at these contracts that are going out. He, it's still pretty good value if he gives you what he gave you last year. I just I would love to see the Brewers operate a little bit more aggressively when you have these good players and you already have so many young controllable pieces for the foreseeable future there, especially you didn't even mention William Contreras behind the dish. Like they've got some good pieces. Just spend a tad or at least retain a tad. You know how they can mend the relationship with Corbin Burns? Money. Right. Yeah. If they just offered him a big time deal, you think Corbin Burns is going to be that bad anymore? No. Go short-term high AAV. See what happens. Give it, give it a shot. Just try. If he says no when he walks, he says no when he walks. But you know the Dodgers are probably out of the sweepstakes. <laughs> oh, you never know. But uh, Yeah, actually, uh, no. They're the front runners now. Yes, probably. <laughs> yeah, We need to learn from this now. Like I, yeah, I said, I, I talked about it with, with Jack. Like, we got to stop. Just we got to assume that everyone's going to the Dodgers. But yeah. yes, do something. Actually, that's coming up in a second. <laughs> the Reds, keep your pedal to the floor. Uh, I, you know, it's kind of similar to the Royal situation. Obviously they're a little further along. Um, you know, I, I think even with the Tigers you're talking about, I like, kind of shocked the world. The Reds have already made their presence known. They did it last year, right? They shocked the world last year, but in terms of just no one expecting them to do anything near that, but now it's time to get serious, right? You, you've got your young pieces. Are all of them going to repeat what they did last year? Probably not, but they're good players and you're going to be fine. And, and now you go out and get some arms. I loved, you know, being able to add the upside of Montas. Nick Martinez was a good ad. Uh, they've just been able to, to already spend and, and pick up some good pieces. Don't stop. You don't need 18 middle infield prospects. Go trade a couple, go, go try to make a move, you know, Go go get an arm. The, the trade market's been super quiet. I'm sure it's super steep, especially in the in the cease world. Get creative. Go go get an arm from the Marlins or somebody else. Like I, I want to see them keep pushing here because similar to what we talked about, you know, with the AL Central, I think the NL Central, you know, could be relatively open as well because the Cubs, who I'll get to in a second, um, you know, aren't doing anything. Do you have anything before I segue right into the Cubs? Nope. Go ahead. I think it's perfect. Do something. Do something. I know Cubs fans are losing their minds. The only reason, like, I think it's a little bit more so than any other team, because we've said do, do something for several teams. The Cubs have, are, again, one, the Cubs. Two, like, they've been making it out to be as if they, they're going to be big spenders, right? We're in on Otani. We're interested in this guy. We're interested in that guy. And, I, I, like, they, they haven't done a thing. They haven't signed anybody. I think they've okay. b- b- been the least active team in the entire sport. Why? You were also pretty good last year. You also are very close to being competitive, you know, and I'm, I'm by competitive. I mean, like compete for a pennant. They're already competitive as a baseball team. You have an unbelievable farm system. You don't have that much money tied up. Where, what are we doing here? It's like a, it seems like analysis paralysis here with Hoyer and the Cubs. We've seen Hoyer operate really well within constraints. Are you afraid to pull the trigger now and, and be aggressive? I, I, I can't have another Michael Elias in this sport. You could at least. And I love Michael Elias. You could at least run it back with Strowman, right? Because if you lose Strowman, you are worse. 
You are it's not the same team that is not doing anything and stays the same. No, you're worse now than he was not begging the playoffs. He was begging to come back. And Bellinger, too. Like Bellinger wasn't begging as much, but I know he wants to come back. I know his price tag's a little ridiculous, so I understand the Cubs waiting that one out. But if you're letting both those guys walk, what are you gonna do to offset that? It, we're talking about getting better in 24. You're gonna be focused on what offsetting losses? That's not a good recipe for success when the other teams in the division are all getting better. Besides the Brewers. At all. Good. Cardinals. More pitching. <laughs> More. I, I want to see the Cardinals have too much pitching. Yep. Please. And just humor me. Have too much. I, I can't wait for that day. And like, it won't happen. So just try. Like, we talked about what they say they need. They're going to get like two and a half pitchers. Get five uh, and a half. Like they were going to add two and a half or something like that. Like. They got half and half, basically, or like a quarter and a quarter with Gibson, you know, in um, Lance Lynn. Lance. But hey, Gibson, we got to stop disrespecting Kyle Gibson on the show. I actually think Kyle Gibson is perfectly fine. Like he's going to give you a 460 or in 190 innings. Like, OK, that's I, I hear that. That's a pitcher. It is I a want pitcher you to say that Kyle Gibson is a full point of a pitcher. He's a, OK. I'll give him a full. Him. I'll give him a full a full pitcher. He's a full pitcher. He's a full pitcher. OK, but. In a playoff series right now, Sonny Gray gets the ball game one. Game two? Michaelis. That's fantastic. Game three? Kyle Gibson. See ya. <laughs> yeah, I mean. No, Enjoy that, Cancun. That, yeah. Um, Like, just get another arm, please. That, that's all I got. And then. Snell. Anyone, please. Please, you're the Cardinals. I'm going to keep saying that with all of these major teams. The Pirates, stay healthy. Uh, I, I can see the direction. I like where they're going. It sucks, Andy Rodriguez, you know, out for the year with the torn UCL. One of my favorite prospects, you know, for a long time. Henry Davis has battled some injury issues. Now he's going back behind the plate. We didn't get to see any of O'Neill Cruz, it felt like, last year because of because of injuries, and he continues to get hurt. It just seems like they've been a, a, a pretty banged-up team. Mike Burrow's young arm that I was really excited to see. He gets hurt. Uh, you know, injuries happen everywhere, but it seemed like with, with the young integral pieces here, with the Pirates, it's happened a little bit more, so I just love to see them stay healthy. Couldn't agree with you more. Great stuff. Moving on to the American League West, the Astros. Pick your side in the fork in the road. And what I mean by that is the current Astros, they're not much of a farm system. Arm, where would you rate their farm system among 30 MLB teams? It's it's definitely in the bottom third. They seem to translate one or two guys, though, all the time, which makes it fine. But, yeah, it's a bottom third team in terms of assets. And their payroll – Projected in 2024 is about 224 million. That's right around the CBT threshold. Are you going to go over that, keep spending, sign more guys, or is it time to trade Framber and Bregman? And the reason I'm saying that is I think staying pat and not choosing one of those lanes could end up burning you in the future. And I think mm -hmm. what the Astros have done really well is being very self-aware and knowing mm -hmm. where they're at at all times. Now is another opportunity to show Major League Baseball that you have a great pulse on your own team. And I know it's January, so we, they still got time, but I think you got to make that decision sooner rather than later than kind of letting pieces go. Because if you trade Bregman and Framber now, you're going to get a haul of prospects and you still have a great team. If you then go out and sign more guys and say, all right, we're not going to have a great farm system, but to your point, we're going to turn around one or two guys a year and be 
go beat the Rangers. Like they can go win another World Series. Of course they can. They're the Astros. Regardless of what they do, I think they're going to be in a good spot either way. But I think if they do nothing, they'll actually be in a worse spot than choosing one of those lanes. So I think pick a side and do it because I think you'll be okay either way. Don't stand uh, I'm with you. I think that they, they could get stuck and, you know, they're, they're never a team that's going to go over the CBT. So you, you have to kind of work a little bit further ahead uh, than some of the other teams. And they've done that. And that's why they've been so good for so long, like you said. But they, I know they haven't, like it's not in their, you know, DNA to do it, but they realistically could do it. How much yes, money has could. this team made from continually being in the playoffs? Oh. You know, they could, they could, you should extend Altuve tomorrow. That's what, you know, that's what they should do. All right, yeah. um, Rangers is very similar to the Reds, except these two teams are in different positions. I put keep your foot on the pedal. The oh, no way. Yeah, literally word for word. The AL is still open. Remind baseball Texas Rangers that this was not a fluke. Go get more bullpen. I see no reason why they shouldn't re-sign Jordan Montgomery. The, these windows don't happen often, and yours is still wide open. The mm-hmm. offense is fully taken care of. You're going to get Wyatt Lankford in. Evan Carter is the guy. Seeger, Semyon, Lowe, Adolis, Josh Young, Joan Heim. You do not need to touch it. Spend a hundred and so million dollars on Jordan Montgomery and get under the radar bullpen moves, and you could run it back easily. Mm-hmm. Your foot on the one hundred percent. Keep your foot on the pedal. Angels, the opposite of the Houston Astros, <laughs> have some self awareness. <laughs> Trade Mike Trout. Realize what your organization has become. You clearly do not know how to sign free agents. Realize you are a broken franchise and fix it. Instead of pretending you're active and then you just kind of overpay a reliever, like you give them a three-year deal for whatever reason, just to prove, Artie Moreno, that I have money. We're still the angels. Have some self-awareness. You're not that guy. Start over. Start over. Mariners, do not trade any big leaguer with value. Stop Mm. it. I don't want to hear Brian Wu and Bryce Miller deals anymore. I don't want to hear that they're on the market. No more of these Paul Seawald-esque deals Mm -hmm. where Jerry DePoto feels so smart. I just turned a reliever into three position players, and then those three position players don't really do anything for you. When Paul Seawald is on the mound in the World Series. Like, stop making these I'm smarter than you deals. Why is it Eugenio Suarez gone? Yeah. Like, stop doing that. Add. You can go to the World Series. You have all the pitching in the world. You have all the bullpen guys. You have Julio Rodriguez, who could be a 40-40 guy. You got France coming back. Like, you could be one of the best teams in baseball, but you're trying to be so smart and cool. Stop. Yeah, being cute. The last thing I'll say, good players. The one thing I'll say is they the the best move. He's made some good moves. The best move that he's made is the classic aggressive move that we see from winning aggressive teams, which was trading for Luis Castillo. Right, like that That was was great. Massive haul. Who cares? You look at it now. Williamson's barely a, a five at best, probably at this point. Um, you know, yeah, Edwin Arroyo's fine. He still hasn't even reached double A. Uh, like it, you know, LV Marte, 
he's kind of the, the odd man out in that in that infield for the Reds. He's really good. He probably could play third for the Mariners next year. Okay, you, you got to give to get. You have an ace. You got an ace from that. Like sometimes the aggressive regular move is good, and I'm with you. Like that's the best move that he has made uh, is that Luis Castillo trade. Last, kind of least, A's. Make huh. this year about the fans. And it's not least because you owe it to them. Do you want any Oakland fans supporting you when you move to Vegas, John Fisher? He doesn't give a shit. Make this year a year in which the fans are the 100% focus. Fan giveaways, stuff at the ballpark, whatever. To show Oakland fans that you are sorry and that you appreciate them. I don't know if you've seen this offseason. A lot of players who have been in the league for a long time have been talking about how bad they feel for Oakland fans because they keep pointing to the fact that when Oakland was good, it was one of the rowdiest, best environments to play in. Like, I grew up in Santa Barbara, California. I've been to the Coliseum when the A's are good. They're 100% correct. Those fans, when there's even a semblance of talent, are out there supporting. Even when there isn't, there are still some. But they just got to a point this season and kind of last season where it's like, John Fisher, not only are you a bad owner, like you kind of feel like a bad person. Yeah, he kind of sucks. Like, you're a bad person. There's one thing to be a bad owner and be cheap, but you're a bad guy. Like, we don't want to support a bad guy. We're not going with you. Yeah. John Fisher, make it up to the fans at least. Like, you don't even have to sign one more free agent. No, that make the ballpark fun and give them some lasting joy before you suck their team out of their city. You owe that. You owe that. And but he's not gonna do it. But he no, owes of course that. not. No, no. John Fisher, man. That's my that's he's up there towards the top of my least favorite owners in sports. But David Tepper taking the top spot right now on the power rankings. Oof. Is he not likable at all? Um, all right. NL West. Dodgers, embrace the villain role, man. Yeah. I, I look, you can talk about how bad it is for baseball, blah, blah, blah. I don't care. At the end of the day, we're all going to watch. And at the end of the day, or at least I hope you are, if you're listening to this podcast and then you don't watch the Dodgers, like that's interesting. Um, But, you know, (laughs) I I still love you. Um, There is something to be said about the team that everybody wants to see go down and the team that everybody feels like is unbeatable, right? We love an underdog story. Baseball is built for underdog stories. It creates them every single year. Um, I think the Dodgers leaning into that villain role. When has Freddie Freeman ever been a villain? When has Mookie Betts ever been a villain? You know, like I I think it's going to be fun to see, you know, Shohei Otani, when has that guy been a villain? Like no one's going to boo them or hate them, but everybody's going to want to see them go down. And, you know, I want to see them have swagger. I want to see them have cockiness. I I want Walker to come on here again and say how they're going to beat up everybody. That's great. That's what we want. That's fun. That's fun. I grew up a Heat fan, right? You know, watching the big three, it was was so fun to watch everybody else want to see LeBron, Wade, and Bosh go down. Like, I felt like I was behind enemy lines when I'd go to games at, at other stadiums and whatever, in other arenas. And, you know, people would just be like, you spoiled shit, like whatever. Like, it's just, it's funny. Like, um, it's one of those things that just makes sports fun. So I'd like to see them embrace the, uh, the, the, the villain role and let's have some fun next year. Couldn't agree with you more. You know, everybody says, oh, now baseball's ruined. The Dodgers are going to win it all. Stop. Look at the NBA when it was LeBron versus those Warriors teams. Look at the NFL when it was the Patriots dynasty. Yeah, MLB with the to, Yankees, right? I watched my Heat lose to the Mavs, dude. Exactly. I watched, oh, yeah. No, I don't. They're going to be hated. People are going to hate them. 
and it's going to make for incredible television. At the end of the day, this is a sport. Yeah, it's fun. This is fun. Right? It's fun. This is fun. It's fun. It's fun. You take it as seriously, and I appreciate everybody out there who does. Probably if you listen to the show, you take it really seriously. But in the back of your mind, just remind yourself. This it's is fun. Sports. This is entertainment. This is sports. It's fun. This is awesome. It is fun. Go ahead. Padres, find value. Um, we know that they're operating under financial constraints. I think Preller's a very smart baseball mind. Hassan Kim signing. That's a perfect example of finding value, right? A good signing. That's part of the reason why they don't have to tear it down was like the, the good value signing of Hassan Kim. You know, I, I want to see more of that. I want to see, you know, what you do. Like Yuki Matsui, I actually think that was a interesting potential value add because you go long term, but it's $5 million and change AAV. Like, I like those kind of moves. Keep trying to find value as you try to fill out this roster. Uh, and I think this team can compete if they can continue to find some value here and there. So I'm looking forward to seeing what that looks like. Love it. Nothing added. Giants, land a big fish. I know you have your reservations, but that's what they got to do. I, 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 that's the only thing that's missing for me. I look, I, I know that I've been hard on them for the drafting development, whatever, but the farm system's fine. Uh, yeah, they, they've drafted fine enough. Like, I don't think that they need to overhaul everything. They just need to land some studs, you know, and, 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 you know, put to bed this narrative that no one wants to play in San Francisco and blah, blah, blah. Uh, like just land a stud, show that you're committed to doing so. And, you know, I think the rest will start to kind of progress from there. Absolutely. I have my reservations. But I've spoken about it before. Don't need to keep piling on. Just I'll believe it when I see it. Rockies. Turn the page. Just just turn the page. I don't need to see Charlie Blackman anymore. I love him. Like I I get it. Like you can you can have him do like his farewell tour, but when is that going to be? In five years? Like how much longer do we need to see, you know, an older Charlie Blackman taking outfield reps, you know, from a Hunter Goodman or or even from a Nolan Jones at times this past year? But you know, now mostly he got enough run. But I just that's another one of those where I just would like to see. Young guys, go trade, you know, some of those pieces. I don't need to see Brendan Rodgers up the middle. Like, I, I hope when Tovar is ready, you you bring him up and, and throw him out there. Uh, when, when you look at McMahon at third base, like, trade him. What, what are you going to do with a 29-year-old, 30-year-old? You, you, you're attached to Chris Davis, but there's certain arms. I don't need to see these guys anymore. I want to see them lean into the youth and reset a little bit and just have some fun out there. they got a fun farm system coming up. You know, they got some good players that really are going to come up and make an impact. I don't need to see these these same guys anymore. I, Brandon Rogers specifically, I do not need to watch anymore. I don't want to see him. Uh, and, and McMahon, like, great. He's solid at third. He's fine. His contract's cheap by the new standards. Move him. What What, what is a defensive-minded third baseman at Coors Field doing for you? Like, I, I just don't get it. Um, I, Yeah, just, just turn the page. I like it. Turn the page. That's it. Build around Cal. Yes, finally. Finally. So that'll do it. A New Year's resolution for every MLB team. Let us know in the YouTube comments if you support or you hate our New Year's resolutions or what you would change about your current MLB team. Now for the man of the hour, Walker Bueller. But before we get to Bueller, a quick break. Well, last time we chatted, Walker Bueller had just gotten Shohei Otani as a teammate. And now it's like, undoubtedly the super team Dodgers that Walker Buehler is a part of. Since then, it's 12 years for 325 for Yamamoto. It's trading for Tyler Glass now, extending him. And uh, we're super amped to have a, a huge part of this rotation with us, like, weekly as this season <laughs> rolls on. So, um, I don't, like, I asked you when you guys got Otani, your immediate reaction. Uh, first and foremost, how are you? You're in L.A. now. Are you Are you living the dream? 
Yeah, we're good. No, I told you guys I thought we weren't done, but um, no, was, I mean, it was quick. It was kind of a little cascade of, of adding glass now and, and Yamamoto and um, looking forward to meeting those guys. They, you know, went into the stadium today, but they were elsewhere. I think Yamamoto's back in Japan and, and then Otani's supposed to be there tomorrow. So, you know, it'd be good to start hanging out with them and throwing and, and doing all that kind of stuff. Was it was it almost snowballing, like the reaction of, obviously we talked through the Otani reaction, then the Yamamoto reaction, then the Glasnow reaction. Was it like kind of the same feeling times three? Um, yeah, somewhat. I, I mean, I think the Yamamoto deal is is different than, than Glasnow, right? Obviously that amount of money, most ever for a starting pitcher only or, or whatever, um, for a guy that hasn't played here yet is kind of a different thing and, and obviously something we haven't seen before um glass house kind of different more uh familiar just because we've played against them known of them um you know obviously with the world series and um just a really he's a high level arm that that if you've kind of followed what our organization does tends to elevate you know guys in, in terms of performance and and obviously you know, elevating him is, is very incremental, I think. And, um, you know, he's a, he's a race car that you just want to put new tires on and and hope it goes a little bit faster. Right. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm very excited to watch him in person, you know, every fifth. And, and I think everyone's very excited to to see Yamamoto over here in the States. Yeah. That's kind of the first question I wanted to ask was, was of course, you're going to be excited to get a player like Yamamoto because, you know, the Dodgers are a smart franchise and and a lot of other smart franchises were very eager to to make him one of the, if not the highest paid pitcher that, you know, yeah. ever in the sport. So obviously the talent's there, but there's still this this question of, you know, what does it look like up close and personal? Of course, it, what he's done in other places has been absolutely incredible. What he's done in Japan and, you know, and, and different fronts has been more than enough to to, I think, be a solid track record. But how eager are you to just see this guy like throw a bullpen in front of you and just see what it all looks like in person? Because uh, it, it almost becomes like a legend to a degree when when you're seeing and hearing all of this, but it's like, you know, we're ball players. We want to strap up and see what it looks like. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think the first impression, not being the biggest guy, I'm kind of excited to see how, how big or, or not big he is. You hear all these kind of rumors and, and, you know, you've seen him pitch, but on TV, you never really know. And the velocity and the splitter and, and all of that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, you've heard a lot about the training methods and the, um, you know, throwing javelins and the hypermobility and stuff like that. And, you know, I think probably the last guy that we've heard kind of that kind of conversation around was probably Lincecum from what I can remember. And and from my understanding, they're kind of similar stature. So, um, you know, I'm excited to see kind of what it all really looks like. But, you know, I think to win three MVPs by the time you're 25, in any professional league, there's, there's something there. It's not some, uh, you know, weird conspiracy deal, right? Like the guy can throw a ball and um, we'll just see how it plays, I guess. So scale of one to 10, how much interest do you have in trying javelin with him? And then scale of one to 10, how much interest do you have? Like starting one of his stretching mobility workouts and like probably not finishing, but getting as far as you can. Yeah. I mean, if I had to choose, for you know, one of one of each would be the javelin. The stretching thing's not my thing, but um, you know, I do live in LA. I guess 
we get into the yoga and the hot yoga and all that kind of stuff out here. So uh, we'll see. You know, I, I guess we'll just see how how good it looks in person and and if I need to get get some of that. Yeah, I was going to say if if he's throwing the way that I saw him throwing some of those starts closing out his career at the MPB, maybe every pitcher in baseball might start doing some of the things that he was doing. Like, did you see those clips on Twitter or on X of you know, some of the the maneuvers that he can do with his body? Yeah, the where he's like doing the back bridge and all that stuff. Yeah, I'd pass out. Yeah, it doesn't look. Uh, looks like he's worked on it. I'll I'll say that for sure. Man, but like, what's your counter? So he walks you through like a mobility routine, and then you take him to Santa Anita. Like, what what's what are you gonna do to kind of give it back to him? No, I mean, I think for me, it's probably the squat rack. I obviously don't know how strong he is, but that's kind of always been my thing. It's kind of the only thing I got. So um, the way I pick horses, I, I don't think taking him there will make me look any better, right? It'll, it'll look make me look like just an idiot that likes to pick one number, you know? Um, but no, I, I mean, I think I think the squat rack might be my my only thing. Okay. Last question I have on on the two new teammates is, you know, of course, Glass now. Another guy that in a different way is capable of just doing some things physically that, that not yeah. many guys can in terms of throwing a baseball. What I'm what I'm most excited about is it feels like you have so many different looks of of stardom when it comes to what you got on the mound between yourself, you know, between your the two new additions, between hopefully Kirsch if he's back there and and just all the different talented arms that you have. I know it's not like the Cape Cod League where guys hang out and share, you know, information right. and thoughts and stuff like that. But when you got this like Avengers rotation. Yeah, do you look forward to potentially having some sort of conversations with guys that are, you know, again, come from such different backgrounds that you, you could probably get something, you know, pretty interesting from from each of them and, and probably share some interesting things with them from your side too? Yeah, I mean, I think luckily for me, I've, you know, through the stages of my career, I've largely felt that we've kind of always had that, right? In terms of playing with Kirsch and and the guys that we've had here, right? And and so I think largely it's it's the same situation that I feel like I've kind of always been in, except awesome. I'm just getting older. And so <laughs> I'm not the the 24 year old anymore. That's at the end of the bench. So, um, but no, I, you know, we also have Bobby Miller and some of these other younger guys that, that stepped up big and, you know, we're going to need a, a lot out of them, you know, especially with, with some of the stuff with my innings and, and with glass coming back and, you know, then Atani coming back next year, you just, you got a lot of puzzle pieces there and and a lot of them are really, really good. So we, we've got to kind of figure out how to mix and match. And um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's going to be exciting and, and, you know, it, it's a special time, I think, to play baseball in LA. And, um, you know, I think one of the, the best things about LA is just the kind of global reach. And, you know, I think if, if most people would have said, what's the best landing spot for those two guys, not from a fandom perspective or whatever, but just the familiarity and the the kind of global effect that I think LA and New York are, are the two that you would have talked about. And, um, you know, they both chose here and, and we're, you know, really stuffed up about it. I want to go back to that last point that you made about uh, Bobby Miller. And yes, he's a young piece that's expected to, you know, have a, a serious role in this thing, but you know, you're one of those guys that I think a lot of these young arms can ask questions to now because you have had tangible big league success for several years. What kind of opportunity does a Bobby Miller or an Emmett Sheehan or a Gavin Stone have to like be the young guy in big league spring training with 
all these guys and they can go ask Walker Bueller a question on Tuesday and then Tyler Glasnow a question on Wednesday and then Yamamoto a question on Thursday. And oh, by the way, like you've got Otani just kind of hanging out over there taking BP. Yeah. You know, I think I think the guys that are coming up now and, and we've talked a lot about the younger pitchers and, and kind of defining the success early and, and that kind of stuff. And, you know, my experience is probably a little bit different in that I kind of grew up in old school baseball, you know, lift your leg, push off, throw keep the ball down, do this, do that. Um, and then learned the the kind of new school stuff right when I got the pro ball and, and maybe a little bit at the end of, of college, but I couldn't have told you what my spin rate was in college or anything like that. Um, but these guys largely have been um, reading the same book, if you will, their whole career, right? They, they've known this stuff a lot longer and, and not longer, but a, a larger portion of their career. And so I think, I think for me, the advantage that I got out of that was able to kind of learn this stuff, then watch the guys that didn't throw or, or change anything to try and do that yeah. and how they achieved it. So I kind of got two different perspectives on, on what those things really meant. And so, you know, 2,400 spin rate fastball for me meant a lot of different things because I've, I could see oh, these four guys do it, how do they do it? And there's four different ways, right? And and so, you know, I think watching guys that have had success, and, and Bobby's had a lot of success in his career already, right? But to for from his perspective, to be able to watch four or five or when Shohei gets back and, and all of these guys, like, hopefully go and be really good. You know, I think, at least in my experience, it was being able to watch so many different ways to do it, knowing that there were some constants and some things that were kind of similar between everyone. And and I think the guys coming from Japan or, you know, Shohei and Yamamoto, I guess Shohei's not really coming from Japan anymore, but being able to watch those guys where it's such even a more drastic example of, of a different way to do things, you know, I think there's nothing but positives that come out of that. It is really cool that you mentioned just, everything looking so different, especially with uh, the, the Japanese mechanics and whatever, but all trying to achieve the, the same goal and and usually use the same muscles and do the same things upon the delivery, which is, which is really cool. It, it's also interesting. You mentioned Shohei, you know, being here for a little bit, he's become, you know, the golden boy of baseball in a lot of ways because he's on a team that nobody cares about that everybody desperately wanted to see go to the playoffs and the, and the angels. And it just didn't happen, but also he just is a very quiet, likable guy who keeps to himself. You could say the same for Freddie Freeman. You could say the same for Mookie Betts. You could say the same for a lot of the players on your team. But I'm sure you've kind of caught some of the general vibe of baseball fans, which is just what always happens when you put together a, a ridiculous roster. People get mad, right? And 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 they really want to see you guys, you know, lose. They want to see their team take you down. How do you feel like, do you feel like there's any of that sense of potentially embracing like a villainous role um, within the Dodgers? I know you guys are just going to go out and do your thing, but there is going to be a level of people are going to pay a lot of money to go see you guys play wherever you go. You're going to be on tour and people are not going to want to see you win at all. It already is that way. I think it's going to be that way even more, right? Is that the sense you guys have from the inside? I, I mean, I think in LA, it's kind of always been that in some way. Um, I also think the Houston thing kind of changed that dynamic a little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because it was kind of, you know, we hadn't won one. And then the argument, the Houston thing, we should have won one and we had the team and, and all of that stuff. And then we, we win one in COVID 
it's just like every time there's been some sort of like easy Twitter criticism, right? You know, the whatever they call it, the Mickey Mouse thing and stuff. Like at the end of the day, there's however many guys playing Major League Baseball and every single one of them wanted to win the last game of the year, right? And we happened to do it that year. And, you know, it kind of is what it is. But, you know, when you win 100 games pretty consistently – you know, there wasn't a whole lot of people that loved the Yankees when they were playing the way they were in the early 2000s that weren't Yankees fans, right? And, and I think we've got a ways to go before we get to that point where you've got to win some world championships and and do some things like that. But, you know, the idea that people would kind of hate on a team that's been financially responsible, that's producing winning teams and winning players that they draft, we're spending money on big boy players like it just doesn't really track for me that much you know what i mean <laughs> you know i think yeah but it, but it is a sport thing right i think the nfl is the only one that it kind of doesn't really get hurt of that much uh but in the nba you think about the warriors of the past 10 years and, and the amount of star power and you know they they get in they get um criticized individually right oh kevin duran i can't believe he went to mm-hmm. Golden State or LeBron to Miami or whatever. But, you know, baseball, it's largely the same thing. People want to go play with good players and, um, you know, watching from afar even the past two years, like we got a lot of good players and a lot of guys that at the All-Star game you want to hang out with. And and you see a lot of guys from other organizations kind of gravitate. You know, I've been lucky to to go to a couple of them and, and we've had a large contingent there both times and, and seemingly – a lot of people migrate to that contingent, right? And, you know, that stuff matters, right? Like, you don't want to go play with people you don't like. So, um, you know, I think it's a it's a pretty cool combination of the organization being able to do it, putting ourselves in a position to do it, as well as, um, you know, I guess the perception being that, that it's a pretty good room of, of, you know, grown men that want to do the same thing and, and want to go in. Yeah. Um, generic Twitter users hate you guys for spending too much. Mm-hmm. They hate other teams for not spending at all. Right. Um, so they're just going to find something to be angry about. And I mean, you right. guys know it as better as good as anybody on planet Earth, that people are going to find a way to be pissed at public figures no matter what. So I'm sure this is just constant for you. No, I, I mean, I think this is great. It's all on the organization. It's not on us. Right. We don't get to write the check. So um you know, we're just lucky that that they sign and, and wear the same uniform that we wear. Hell yeah. Um, what's up with you, man? So you just moved to L.A. Yep. and you're here for the season. Give me like a timeline of from now until pitchers and catchers report in middle of the late February. Yeah, well, so we're early. This is the other thing that we forgot about the to talk about with Yamamoto and show is that we're opening in Korea. Oh, yeah. So that's my my kind of gut feeling is it's going to be like traveling with the Beatles over there oh man so that one that one will be interesting kind of shades like 98 bulls without all the rings in a row I just I have all these pictures of just these seas of people and 95 percent of our team you know will just walk right through <laughs> yes document it though like make sure you take photos and videos of like what it, what it's like um did you see the photo of Quinn Ewers at an empty podium looking yeah. back at Arch Manning in the full podium yeah. I want a photo kind of like that with you looking at Shohei's podium. That's and I think you'll have some media, but like Shohei's going to have more respectfully. Yeah, absolutely. I'm fine with that, but I'm kind of excited for it. I think it'll be fun. Yeah. 
Yeah, I was gonna. I was gonna ask because I went out to the London series and it was a blast, to be honest. And it seemed like the players enjoyed it. I obviously, didn't yeah. really specifically ask everybody and did take a census, but it seemed like it was fun and it was a great turnout. I mean, that was in the UK where baseball is not nearly as big as it is in Korea and Japan, and they had fifty five thousand multiple games. It obviously is a little bit of a heavy lift to to travel across the world uh, and, and to go open up your season when you're dialed in and, and trying to get off to a hot start. But you know, how excited are you guys about those kinds of opportunities? One, of course, it's great to grow the game, but two, it's it's got to be a pretty memorable experience too. When you're hoping to play 15 years or 20 years or however long, and you know, you can have a, a couple specific memories where opening day was a, a little bit different. Yeah, I mean, the the idea of like, I, I don't know if I'd ever would get on a plane and go to Korea, like. There's, you know, nothing against Seoul, Korea. I just, I don't know if that would ever, that lift would ever be something that I would do. Right. Um, but we're playing there and we got to go. And so you start getting to accumulate those, what you're talking about, the memories or, or uh, just things that you probably wouldn't do otherwise. And, uh, you know, we're, we're expecting our baby girl at the end of January and we're going to take her with us, hopefully, like. Yeah, when you were, you know, six weeks old, you went to Korea. Like, yeah. there's just things that you can't really, you probably wouldn't do otherwise that that come along with it. And, um, you know, it's something that I'm really excited about. Are you, how can you make sure to minimize the impact of crying baby on flight to Korea if you do have <laughs> to deal with that? Do you have any well, kind of creative measures? No, we're going to, we've had a lot of experience. You know, our team is, is very, um, parent heavy now so i i think i was gonna say she, fertile but <laughs> yeah if she uh if she is able to go I, I think there'll be a lot of understanding people on the plane so i'm not too i'm not too concerned about that side of it good all right so yeah kids, I, good. yeah no i was just gonna say i want to go out there so desperately but the flight is 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 just crazy to me like it's i want to go to every international series i can go to but kind of echoing walker's sentiment like I don't like flying that much. There's not a lot of things on this planet. I'm flying, you know, 16 hours. Is it 16? Is it a 16 hour commute? I think so. I, I'm not really, I haven't really looked in it too much because I don't want to think about it too much. But uh, yeah, we're going to be up in the air for a while. Yeah. Longest bus ride you did in the minor leagues or in college? What was it? Yeah. I mean, low A, there's some serious treks, but that was more just because the playoffs, we were doing it like every three days, two days. Okay. I think we did like 2,100 miles in like two weeks. Oh, via in the bus. Playoffs, in low A. Uh, um, Missouri, you know, Nashville to Missouri is not short. Yeah. Nashville to Arkansas is not short. Yeah. You know, you, you get anything over six, eight hours on a bus, you're, you're talking some, you're talking some time. We were, we were very fortunate in Vanderbilt though. They started putting in the sleeper bus thing. Nice. So we would have like two, and being in Nashville, we would have like tour buses that, you know, they'd be like, oh, yeah, we just cleaned it all up. We had such and such tour on here for the past three months or what? Like, it was just a wild, wild deal. But we got very we were very fortunate to have those. Did you ever at, at any stop have, you know, whether it was college minors or even in the big leagues, just a nightmare travel story or just like one of those situations that you're like, if this ever happens again, um, I think I'll just walk off and figure it out. Yeah, we had a we had a weird scenario where we played New York. We played the Mets Sunday night baseball. I don't know. I think I pitched maybe on Sunday night baseball against Wheeler. Then we flew back from New York to LA. Landed at like 
four or five in the morning LA time, maybe three in the morning LA time. And then we played the Cardinals at four. They didn't even push it to seven. Oh, so we, that was, that was probably the worst I've seen in the major leagues. Man, did you sleep at the ballpark? Did you go home? Like what time did you report for a four o'clock game? No, I mean, in that circumstance, everybody, it was like mandatory show up, don't show up before two kind yeah. of thing, like show and go. But still, you, you know, you're talking seven o'clock game out of the park at 11. So like get to the airport at 12, six hour flight, three hour time difference. It was just kind of an interesting one. That's right. Um, all right, we are going to hit. I, I do want to talk about the sale thing, and I want to talk about the rental market too, because the rental market is kind of kind of the thing in pitching right now. Seeing Frankie Montas get sixteen mil for a year after he threw what was it arm three innings? In yeah, the minor if, if you, big yeah, yeah. If you combine the minor leagues and the big leagues, yes, man. So like the the numbers are crazy. But before that, I want to go back to kind of like timeline leading into pitchers and catchers reporting. So what does oh, yeah. what does Walker Bueller's January look like? Yeah, I'll, you know, I'll be here. I'll, I'll work out at the stadium. I might stop in some other spots around here. You know, I have a few buddies that live out here and, and have been other places, but I'll be in the stadium probably four or five days a week and just playing catch and, and doing all that stuff. And um, I guess the big decision is just trying to figure out how we're going to handle my innings and, and then reverse engineer everything from from either opening day or a little bit later, whatever we're going to end up doing to kind of start setting when I'm going to get on the mound, where I'm going to be at when we get to spring training, um, you know, all those kind of details so we can try and make, you know, the ramp up make sense. I, you know, I don't want to get going too early and then I don't throw for a month or whatever, or the opposite, right. I don't want to rush or, or I don't want to be kind of ready to go and, and then not pitch. So, um, you know, that's the the big decision to be made now, as well as, you know, having a kid thrown, thrown in there right before I leave. So, you know, we got some, some stuff in the air, but, you know, get a good month of, of training and obviously have the, the people that I've worked with and, and the people that I trust out here. And um, yeah, it should be a good month. The only thing that I, I struggle to almost follow in terms of the patterns and things, and I don't know if it's case by case, uh, I, I assume it is when you try to set that innings limit, like what, what are some of the I guess essentials. Like, are there? Is it doctor to doctor? Is it things that you start to kind of relay back? Like, how do you come up with a number as you lead into you know the season and get closer? Obviously, it's dependent on how you feel, but I feel like it's kind of a wide range on players in different circumstances that are all kind of similar at the same time because it's usually the same injury or slightly similar to it. Yeah, I mean, I I think at some point you're doing your best guessing, right? Because you could get to eighty innings and and you could feel terrible you could feel great or whatever um i think largely your body will will kind of tell you i also just know myself where i will try and push anywhere that i can and and that's just kind of how i am and maybe the reason i'm in the situation that i'm in but it it is what it is and um you know having done this rehab before I, i think it would be easy to try and take that first year and do very similar to what i did in the minor leagues but the the injured list rules are different now. So, you know, I would skip a start every so often and you could go on the 10 day then, and now it's 15. So then you're talking about what's like, does that actually make any sense to do it that way? 
So it's just a lot of kind of, for lack of a better term, it's like math or scheduling or calendar, however you want to say it, but just trying to figure that out and and then being able to adapt from it because it's not going to all go perfect and and you're going to have to alter some things. And, and, you know, I think at the end of the day, it's trying to leave some room to pitch in the playoffs. And, and I, I think that's, that's the big goal. And, and I think our organization probably does the best in baseball of putting us in a position to be pretty healthy going to the playoffs. And, and we just got to perform at, at that time, you know what I mean? And instead of, we're very adaptable in terms of, okay, you're hurt, but you're not that hurt and let's figure this out. And here's a couple of different options and here's how we can handle it. And, you know, in my experience with him, it has been great that way. We, we've learned your mindset over the last, what, eight months, nine months that we've been talking to you. And like, it's, it's very clear that going through this before is kind of helping you go through it again. Obviously it's not fun to do it a second time, but it's clearly helping. We'll say like, you also know your body way better now than you probably did the first time. And there are more bells and whistles at your disposal now than there were the first time. So when it comes to, and we talked about it through like the beginning of the rehab process and really the end of the rehab process, but when it comes to revamping for your first full season back, what's different now than 2015? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing is that I the end goal is a little bit clearer in terms of I need the ball to come out of my hand this way. I need to be able to execute this thing, right? When you're in the minor leagues, you're just trying to like, I want to throw hard and I want to be good. Like, well, you don't really know. I probably didn't really know what being good in the major leagues looked like or what I needed to be able to do. And, uh, you know, even, you know, obviously there's a lot I want to improve on even when I was healthy, but like you have a general understanding or idea of like what you need to be able to do and the timelines of that and bouncing back and, and all of that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, I think it's a, it's a huge advantage just because you can kind of push in certain places and give yourself a little grace in other places, just so you can kind of, you know, when you know where you're going, there's some, you can kind of steer that road a little better, I guess. You, you you always set yourself to a high standard, of course, with the success you've had in the past. And you you talked about just kind of the way the ball was coming out of your hand when you were making that return and, and threw a little bit, you know, and, and those rehab appearances and even in the bullpens. And or just sometimes the ball just on breaking balls, whatever the pitch may have been, you just you've thrown so many baseballs, you know, when it's coming out of your hand, right or wrong or, or not wrong, but at least just not how you want it to. Um, how do you manage that? I think I don't want to say it's like perfectionism, but that that desire to be as close to where you were at your best or if if not better than that while also being patient and knowing hey this is a process right second tommy john want to make sure i stay healthy you talk about the propensity of wanting to push yourself which is why you are where you are uh in terms of your success but it's also you know something that you probably have to rein in a little bit like have you thought about how you're going to balance all that and and you know how you use that for good without pushing it too far Right. I mean, I mean, I think walking into this spring training, like you're out of rehab, right? So now it's about trying to perform and, and that's the biggest thing. Obviously you're going to monitor some of the physical stuff and, and whatnot, but it's not, you know, I'm not on any, on a timeline anymore. I can't throw till six months or whatever. Like you're out of that. So yeah. then it's about performing and, and trying to put my body in a, in a place where I can, where it feels like I can perform as opposed to, actually physically being able to do it right 
they can pick up a ball and throw it. So mm-hmm. let's figure out how to go get people out. And and that's kind of a, you know, it's an encouraging thing, but it, it's kind of a return to normal, right? Like that's what we're always doing all the time. And, um, you know, I'd rather be worried about the perfectionist side of it, of my cutter or this or that, or my execution or whatever, as opposed to like how my elbow feels every morning. Right. It's just yeah. a lot, a lot, uh, easier place to be. It's way more fun to be there too. I'm sure. Um, all right. A couple more things. When you close your eyes and see Chris sale, who do you see? And like, I want to talk about this trade a little bit because sale and 17 mil is going from Boston to Atlanta. So Atlanta owes him one year at 10 and a half and a club option at 20. Vaughn Grissom is a return sale. I feel like is a guy that some baseball fans have soured on because of time. Like a lot of time has passed since he was dominant, but I feel like a lot of baseball players look at that guy and it's like, that's still fucking Chris sale. Like that's the guy that was putting up Pedro K numbers. So when you close your eyes and see Chris Sale, do you see the guy that was striking out the world in Chicago, the guy that finished the World Series in Boston, or the guy that struggled to stay on the field in Boston for the last three years? Yeah, I mean, I, I think for me, it's it's definitely the Boston Sale and, and what he did in that World Series and coming out of the bullpen and all of that stuff. You know, I, I think after the run in Chicago, the success in Boston, right, I, I think – everyone's kind of perception of him was that he was a guy that would do stuff like that and come out of the bullpen and, and be kind of an animal. Right. Um, especially he had the, the belly button ring or whatever had happened and all of that, you know, I have some backstory on that. I will not disclose that's somebody else's deal, but you know, I think he made a lot of sacrifices to, to be able to do that. And, and I think largely probably is is a part of of why he kind of has had, you know, trouble staying on the field. But, you know, for him, I, I think in my perspective, and including my own bias on it, right, like I have to think of him as, as the Chris Sale that kind of once was because it's a health thing. It wasn't like he was healthy and had four bad years in a row, right? Like he wasn't playing and, and largely he's looked pretty good when he's been healthy and, and back and it may not be a hundred like it was, but not many guys that have played however many 12 years, 15 years, whatever he's played now, not many of those guys are, are still throwing a hundred either. Right. And so, um, yeah, definitely an interesting trade. I know Atlanta liked the Grissom guy a lot and, and he's performed in, in AAA and, and his, he had a really good, what, 25 game or 26 game stand at one point. And, yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting deal but you know i kind of see both sides of it i guess what what does a guy like sale you know we talked about on the, on the episode before about how it feels like he can almost bring them a little bit of, of an edge and david o'brien of the athletic was talking about that as you know just something that the braves may, may need a little bit of it just it, i think some people you know tend to get a little bit it becomes very easy to just say oh like you know they're, they're falling short in the postseason because they're you know, missing that edge or it's a chemistry thing or whatever. And sometimes it's just because there's a lot of good teams and it's hard, but with the Braves, you know, you you kind of wonder, do they need that, that guy that's been there a little bit more, that guy that, you know, can really have that intensity and push him over. Can, can one player really create a ripple like that? If it's a Chris sale type of player, you know, it, being added to the fold there, 
there. And do you think that there was more, of course, he's still good on the mound. He struck out 125 and, and a little over 100 innings last year. So when healthy, he's still a serviceable arm. And at that amount of money, great. But do you think that there was something, you know, beyond what's on the field that they were hoping maybe he could bring to, to the clubhouse? Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. Obviously, I've never been in that clubhouse and, and I don't really know uh, many of their guys in terms of like playing with them, obviously. But, um, you know, I, I don't think any team, I think it's very tough to get a team that has too much edge, right? Like, yeah, it, it's yeah. inherently a good thing. Like, yeah, if you're the longest yard team, right? Like, there's too much edge. Like, that makes sense. But, <laughs> Um, no, Atlanta's a, a well-run franchise and obviously, you know, one of the two or three teams that are the most talented in the big leagues. And, um, you know, he's a guy that's been there and done it. And um, when healthy, it's still one of the scarier left-handed, left-on-left at-bats. And, and the angle, you know, I think a lot of people think, like, guys throw from out there, like the righty, see it the whole way. Like, it's still coming at an angle. It's still not – not like an easy thing. And, um, you know, I don't know if us getting Shohei was a big part of it. And cause we have Freddie and we have a lot of lefties, but you know, I think that kind of chess move, there's, I think you can obviously like read between the lines or what would you do if you're playing GM and you were trying to play this team or whatever. But, um, yeah, I mean, he's talented, he's hard on lefties, and, and you know, I think if they monitor, I think they'll monitor him in some way because they want him at the end, and um, it's going to be interesting. And Dodgers Braves, it's going to be interesting. Whenever you guys match up this year, that's going to be a doozy, and I'm very excited. Um, I, I think from at least the outside looking in, Sale carries a similar perception to Scherzer, not from like, oh, automatic first ballot Hall of Fame, but like, I mean, the perception is kind of, hey, Scherzer's kind of a psychopath. And Sale, it's like, hey, Sale's kind of a psychopath. Um, I know we talked about Scherzer at the deadline where that influx of pure talent with Scherzer and Turner was big for you guys because, you know, Mm -hmm. it just validates like, hey, we're a damn good team. We just got better. But from that edge point where Aram was saying, like, how comfortable was Scherzer coming in and feeling at home and like, being that badass MF, we know that guy can be because I assume Sale can probably operate in a, in a similar way because he's entering a good team that got better because they add a guy that has that edge. Yeah, I mean, I, I think largely, you know, the Scherzer stuff was was kind of predicated on his start day, right? And and his kind of he is very, uh, you know, it's the same word, but on it, like he's very crisp with with how he operates and he knows himself. He's made a lot of starts in the big leagues. There's no, it, you know, no one can like tell him how to do things because he's done it, right? And and I think largely we talk about the veteran presence thing and, you know, I, I think just because some, you know, some people are rough or rougher looking or, or whatever it is, right? Or, or their persona, like that veteran thing is kind of, the more important of the two, right? I got to play with a, a lot of guys early in my career that had played a long time. And there's something to that guy that's done it and done it for a long time and the calm that comes with that. And, um, you know, I, I think in a lot of ways that calm can really be the edge. We talk about edge being like some scary thing. I think edge is, edge is being able to be calmer, right? The calmer man wins is kind of a, a thing that's said a lot, but, 
uh, you know, playing with Chase Utley and David Freeze and guys that have done Ryan Madsen, I remember was having not a great year. We traded for him. And then in the playoffs, he was really, really good for us. And through the postseason, you know, just guys that have really done it. And and even in years where we weren't as successful, like Russell Martin, there was always this thing like, no, we're good. Like he's here. It's fine. You know what I mean? There's no panic in there. And, and I think that's largely what those veteran guys bring. Yeah, that, that was gonna that was gonna be my my only my only question there was how much of an impact does it make when you give the ball to a guy with everything to to uh, you know to lose or everything is on the edge there and you know could go one way or another and you just see his heart rate slow like how contagious is that to the rest yeah, of the I, you know I think the biggest thing with with veterans especially veterans starting pitching for me has always been the idea that like guys that have really done this a long time and. And whether they've done it for 15 years or five years or whatever, like they're probably not going to beat themselves, right? Like you don't see many veterans go out and walk six guys or eight guys or or whatever in any game or a playoff game or whatever, right? Like you're going to have to beat them in some way. And and I think that's such an important kind of, I don't want to keep saying calming, but it's like a calming thing to, to hand the guy a ball, you know, hand that guy the ball and know that he's not going to beat himself. Like it's a 0% chance that's going to happen as opposed to, you know, we've had young starters and, and I was one of them that like my first couple of playoff games, it was just like, I was beating myself a lot. And so when you've got really good teams, you're playing in the playoffs, they're obviously talented and successful teams themselves. And they beat me and I beat myself. Like it's really hard to get out of that, but these veteran guys can just go and, if you beat them, you beat them. If not, they win. And, and that's why they keep keep getting the ball. Last thing I want to hit on with you real quick is, is the rental market. And I think in the last three weeks, we've seen a couple of deals where it's like that much money on a one-year deal for that guy that has been, you know, like somewhat unavailable. We saw with Severino one year 13 to the Mets. And we saw Frankie Montas one year 16 to the Reds. And, and Montas like, that might have been double what a lot of other teams were expecting that guy to get. But, man, like, that's a thing. So w- with where we are in the need for starting pitchers, like, I, listen, I've read the reports about Chris Getz wanting a ransom for Dylan Cease in, in trade talks, too. Like, every starting pitcher is so effing valuable right now. Yeah. How good does that make you feel is, like, somebody that is a very valuable commodity in major league baseball, like somebody that, yeah. you know, you, everybody kind of controls their own destiny. It seems as a starting pitcher when it comes to, yeah. you know, a payday and, and who you are around the league. Right. Yeah. I think largely we've seen this kind of one year bounce back contract happen for a long time. Right. Even on our team, uh, Tyler Anderson is a great example of this, yeah. right. He gets out of Colorado going to improve inherently comes to us. Hopefully we helped him and he goes and gets a deal in Anaheim. But I think largely you're seeing certain organizations take guys like that and make them better or make them have a better year at a higher clip. Right. And I think that's largely behind this rental market thing is, is the inherent like belief is that you are going to make them better as opposed to like, oh, we'll take a flyer. I think it largely used to be a flyer kind of one-year deal, and now it's like a, we can fix it one-year deal. And and you're seeing, even with Giolito, two years ago was on the cusp of winning Cy Young's, and 
and he gets 40 million, like really think about it. Like two years ago, you would have thought he would have got 200 million. Right. So yeah, it feels bigger in these kind of prove it contracts than, than it has in the past, but compared to 700 million or, or whatever, some of these contracts are coming out to like, it's all rising together. And, and I think, you know, I haven't deep dived it really, but like the CBA is largely kind of doing what it is designed to do. And, and having a lot of these teams trying to make the playoffs any way they can with the expanded playoffs and stuff like that. So, you know, Cincinnati's got a really, really talented young team, a lot of really talented young starting pitching. Like if Frankie Montas is close to what he was for a couple of years in Oakland, like, that probably pushes them into the playoffs. So, you know, I think in their in their mind, it's like one year, it's 16. We're kind of set. We have our team. Like, let's go be the Diamondbacks last year and put all this talent and have a couple older, older guys that have good years and, and see what happens. And, um, you know, I, I think it's really, really good for baseball, to be honest with you. That, that was the interesting aspect of the one-year deal is is it is, you know, yeah, of course, it's less guaranteed for a player long-term. And, and of course, you always want to if, – if you have an option for nine figures, you're going to take that longer-term nine figures, even if it's a little lower AAV. But fr- from a player empowerment perspective, right – how do you feel about that? Because in, in the NBA, you don't really see one-year deals very often. If you do, it's it's a player that's you know eighth or ninth on the bench. NFL is you know, kind of similar in, in some ways. But with baseball, you you can really rebuild your stock in that yeah. one year while also getting you know more money for that singular season than you would have got AAV over you know multiple years. Like right. in your experience with teammates that have kind of taken that approach, we saw Rodon do something similar with the Giants and um and maybe just Bellinger? friends that you never played with. Yeah, Rodon. like. How much do you think that is a, a positive trend overall for the game? Because it, yeah, you while you want to see more long-term deals, yeah. this does give players the opportunity to not lock themselves into a lower deal and, and bet on themselves a little bit. I think like Kirk Cousins taking the franchise tag like every year yeah. until he got himself his his bag. Is it similar to that? Like where do you kind of line up on on that mentality and, and from what you've been able to see of other players in that situation? Yeah, I mean, the guy that really comes to mind when I first start thinking about, especially position player-wise, is like Ian Desmond when he turned down a bunch of money in Washington and then ended up having a couple really good years in Colorado and kind of, I don't know if he ever made what he would have made had he taken that deal, but like he made a nice career for himself. Like Cody, similarly, like you're starting to see that like, yeah, the matchups map. I think the biggest thing in our sports, the matchups matter. So you start playing in a certain division and they get left-handed heavy and you're a left-handed hitter and maybe your swing's a little off or you played 160 games the year before and then the playoffs and you're tired and whatever, you can have a bounce back year in baseball a lot more sim. I think it's a, the path to having a breakout or bounce back year is a lot cleaner in baseball. So the one year deal and grabbing value from an organizational perspective seems like it's a lot more, you have a lot greater chance of achieving that in our sport, largely. I I guess the analogy that I think of it is like, if you're going to go on vacation, you're probably going to spend money like in a a way that you wouldn't at home. Right. And that's representative of the one year deal as opposed to like buying a home, you're going to look at it a lot differently. And that's giving somebody a bunch of, you know, a bunch of years and, you know, sometimes people take a, you know, I think people are more likely to spend too much money on a vacation 
than they would be on their home, right? And so that's kind of the analogy that that I look at it through. But um, it just seemingly has largely worked out a lot for for teams and and for players as well. All right, Walker Bueller, Michigan, Washington next Monday. Who wins? What's the score? Oof. I th- well, I went to the Rose Bowl. I think it'll be it'll be higher scoring. I I believe than than the Alabama game. Have you watched Penix play at all? No, I heard it was crazy last night. Nuts, freak. Oh yeah. How old is he? he's like twenty five? Isn't he? I think he's twenty four. He's yeah, yeah, fifth year. He was at IU Six, actually. Sixth year. I thought, is this sixth year? This might have been yeah. six. Yeah, Penix and Bo Nix is like, I mean, those two can file for AARP uh, accounts, I bet. I saw the I saw some graphic of like big boys starting NFL quarterbacks and then like all the guys that are coming out of the draft, it's like the same age as all. Yeah, I mean, Daniels is 23. Like the Heisman winner is 23 years old. Just bizarre. Yeah. No, it's interesting. I'll go. Well, I'll go 34-31 Michigan. Wow. Ooh. Okay. I hope I it's like that kind that. of a game. Kind of a stock score. No, I like it. I'm going super stock score. 35-28 Washington. I just, I, uh, growing up watching a lot of SEC football and like the physical, I was a big Ohio State fan kind of growing up. My dad lived in Cincy and I remember all those teams, like the Troy Smith teams and Ted Ginn and all them. Beanie Wells. Yep. Beanie Wells. And you'd like all right, this is the, like, we're physical this year, and then they go play Florida, and they just get run through, right? Yeah. But that, you know, I, we were there. It was not like that. Like, Michigan's big and fast and physical, and, um, you know, I, I don't think Alabama's quite the, like, three years ago Alabama, but there's they're still big and strong and fast. And Oh, yeah. And that first drive, they sacked the guy, like, three or four times, two or three times on the first drive, five times in the first quarter. Uh, the the sack the guy from Alabama was like okay like Michigan's not not tiny and they're not weak you know what I mean yeah so it'll be interesting it's we haven't seen many without the SEC I I think this Georgia thing is going to haunt some people for for a while but uh, yeah I think Michigan wins got you Arm what you got I got forty two thirty five Washington wow I think. I want to take Michigan for all the reasons that that Walker just said, but I think it's going to be high scoring and the difference is going to be the quarterbacks. I, I don't have faith in McCarthy. I, I didn't even think he looked good in the last game. I thought they won despite him in a lot of ways. I know the stat line looked good, but I'm, I'm, I want to see them try to, to make McCarthy beat him. Corum, I don't think he's going to run the same way. So I, I, think I will tell you that that game's a whole lot different if that first throw of the game isn't, isn't ruled incomplete. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was, sitting, yeah. I was sitting on the Michigan side and it, it was dead. You quiet. felt it, right? I, I could feel it through my TV, just the, the like yeah. the momentum that early. I didn't even think, think momentum could be created that early, but you felt it just like, Oh shit. Oh yeah. Yeah. That was, that was an interesting one, but it is what it is. I just, I don't know. I don't <laughs> know. I think the big question is, do they, does Harbaugh ride off into the sunset back to the NFL if they yes. win? Yes, absolutely. I would love if he was the next guy in Chicago, but <laughs> he might be a charger. He might be coming to your hood. You can hook him up with uh, with some good housing ideas. I like it. So, all right, talking football with Walker Bueller and a bunch of other stuff. Walker, you're the man. We will uh, we'll talk to you soon. Cool. 
Ah, gracias, Fer.